Welcome to Author News Weekly, the weekly news show by authors for authors. We read the news so you don't have to. Join our panel of best-selling authors each week as we take a deep dive into the publishing world, both indie and traditional. Author News Weekly. Yeah. Welcome back to Author News Weekly. Thanks for joining us. I'm Ari McGee, joined this week by Pippa Warner. Hello. Jim Heskett. Hello. And Nick Dacker. Hello. What's going on, party people? Anything good? Nothing at all. Same Nothing old. good? Nothing good? Listen, I got to be honest with you. I've been watching the Kanye West documentary, Genius, that's out on Netflix. Here's the thing, okay? No matter what you say about what he is or what he's become or anything like that, it is an amazing thing to watch a human being will himself into existence. It's amazing. It's kind of a beautiful thing for everyone to go, you're never going to be able to do this. You suck. To just make craft himself into the best person on the planet. It's kind of amazing to watch. I got to be honest with you. I give the first two episodes a big thumb up if you guys are. Wait, it's a series. It's not even like one documentary. No, it's multiple episodes. I don't know if I have that kind of commitment in me for somebody like Kanye. Dude. I'm just telling you, it's I amazing that my feelings on him became a lot warmer when I found out that he doesn't just tell other people they shouldn't have won awards. He actually gave one of his away mm-hmm. at one point when he won it. And he was like, no, I was not the best person in this category. It should yeah. go to this other person. <laughs> like, okay. I'm not sure I have anything good to say about him. <laughs> I like his music. Oh, thank you. I, I do not like his music. I appreciate that he, what? he, I think he's talented. I'm not saying he's not. I just, it's not for me. I don't what? like Drake or Kanye. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of either of those oh guys. Oh my goodness, dude. Old, like, not the new stuff. Not the new stuff, but the yeah. old stuff. Like, Power, Gold Ooh, Digger, Jesus yeah. Walks. Woo, yeah, the dude. old stuff's better. It's hard to beat that. But anyway, so... Point, I just can't take the personality away from the musician. So it's... We've all been there. Yeah, it sounds like family reunions for me. Personality away from the family. But, all right. I won't say anything else before I get myself in trouble. Let's move on to a story where we talk bad about someone. Uh, <laughs> did you like that segue? You guys like that segue? Yeah. Right. Story number one. It's from a website called The Book Designer. Okay. So let me try to give a little backstory on The Book Designer. And you guys correct me where I'm inevitably wrong. Okay. The <laughs> Book Designer started out by someone who created it. was called Joel Friedlander. Okay. And he would have these competitions where he would take like who had the best book cover for the month. And a lot of people would submit it. I think our own Mr. Thacker won a month. I feel like I saw you have the little like the Maybe. little. I don't uh, know if I ever won. Yeah, you did. I, you did. Submitted. did I? You won. You won. Uh, you're welcome for telling you that. <laughs> Obviously, I won. Why wouldn't I? <laughs> it had the little wreath and everything like it was the Sundance Film Festival. And so he wrote that. He also had people do like guest blogs and. It was an interesting place to get some information about the publishing sphere, so to speak. And I, I, enjoyed I definitely it. have guest blogged, though. Well, there you go. So That's I enjoyed fine. it a lot. Well, apparently, in the interim, since I kind of stopped watching that blog, that website, it was bought by someone named Chandler Bolt. Okay. And so Chandler Bolt has bought this website and he uses it to further his ambitions in the self publishing industry, you know, as one does. So I got a link to an article and is Amazon self-publishing worth it for importing considerations? And I noticed that the person who wrote it was Joel Friedlander, 
who was the guy who sold it, you know, sold it off to Chandler. And then I was informed that Joel is actually passed away. So the date on this article is February the 24th, and it's physically impossible for Joel to have written this on February the 24th. So what exactly is going on with this, and who is Chandler Bolt, and why do I believe that Joel wrote something when he passed away? Nick, how about that? You look, how about that? Wait, Jim's not going to say anything. Jim's <clears throat> smart, all right? He's not going to say anything. There's two things here. The question you asked is, who is Chandler Bolt? What is his platform? Self-publishing school is the main name for it. And then what's up with this blog post, apparently written by Joel Friedlander? I'll answer the first one first. Self-publishing school is a vanity press. Um, it is a company that exists to extract money from wannabe authors who do not know better, who do not know that they can do all of this stuff on their own, either for much cheaper or for free. I've kind of investigated the company a little bit, just kind of at, at arm's length, and they're not doing anything illegal, so it's not like they're going to you know, get in trouble for any of this stuff, but it's pretty shady because they pretend like they're actually helping authors when they're really just exploiting them. That's about all I need to say about that. I think we've been around the block a few times. If you're listening, you know all kinds of websites like this. This is just another one of those you know, trash websites. I know Chandler personally. He's a good guy. So I guess what I want to do is call you out personally, Chandler, if you're listening to this. I'd love to get you on the show and just figure out kind of your mindset behind why you feel the need to exploit authors in this way when otherwise you're a good person. Because surely you're not an idiot. I mean, you're not naive to the fact that that's what you're doing. So I'd love to get an answer from you, point blank. The second thing is this is pretty disingenuous to write a blog post and say it's by Joel Friedlander. The published date is actually February 24th, 2022, which is way past when Joel's been dead and gone. And there's absolutely no mention of the fact that this is either a republished post or written by you, Chandler, or one of your paid content producers. So I'd love to get your thoughts on that, on why you feel like you need to hide the fact that this is actually not Joel writing or this has been republished since Joel's dead. Because the only reason I can come up with is that you want to trick people into going to your website to exploit them for money. Not sure there's any good reason behind it. I'd love you to correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, is that pretty right good? All right, is yeah, no. What you're, I, what you're looking for? That sounds like a very succinct view into the situation we want the industry uh, to be a place where people aren't getting exploited and so right yeah and you well, know, i want the I whole feel- world to be that kind of place pippa like and this is you know just such an easy market to do it that it's especially shitty when people do it because there's a lot of people who not only don't understand the publishing world and indie landscape and all that but they don't understand that the internet and i'm not that's not a bash on them it's just a different demographic right and so to exploit people in that space is especially shitty to me and i'd love somebody from there preferably chandler himself to come on and tell us what we're missing yeah right on right on because you know the fact is i don't mind anyone doing whatever they're doing as long as everybody's got their eyes wide open like if everybody knows you can't really get taken advantage of if you know what's happening and that's fine with me but you know it's just kind of weird like i was not aware that joel died until this morning You know, I'm living under a rock, apparently. And so I read this and I'm like, oh, it's a new article by Joel. And I literally thought that he wrote this. And then I found out that there was no way he could have. So that's a little unsettling. So I think maybe we need some kind of a a heads up or disclaimer about what's happening. But uh, 
I think there's a little bit more to this. You know, I've read a couple of, of uh, blogs about it. I want to say that Nate Hofelder posted an article saying that Chandler was stealing his blog posts. Um, yeah, well, so Nate had, had published some guest posts on Joel's blog. And I know Nate, too, so I know this story is accurate. And there was an issue with who owned that content. And so Nate mm. requested for it to be removed. It did not get removed. <laughs> so that's where the issue came from there. Right, yeah. And so, you know, I just think that there's a lot of like moving parts and turbulence around this. So, you know, it is what it is. I'm not involved, so I don't really have a dog in the fight, but it would be nice to kind of see what's going on because like you said, it's a small world for us uh, indie types, you know? So, all right. Well, we will leave this alone. I'm not going to talk about the content in the post because I just feel it wouldn't be right to talk about this since, you know, Joel passed away. So we're crediting at this point, among other things. <laughs> right. Yeah. There's a lot going on. The bibliography screwy. So, all right. We're going to leave this be for now. And uh, maybe we'll circle back Jin Psaki style. Psaki. I think the S says S. You skip the P. Psaki, Psaki, whatever. I don't know. I, circle... I would say Pterodactyl. Perfect. Michelle Pfeiffer <laughs> uh, is my favorite real. actress. <laughs> all right. In any event, let's move on to the next story. And Pippa, maybe you can kind of help a little bit about this. This is from Writer Beware, and it's how to spot a ghostwriting scam. And so apparently, there are a lot of people who are out there scamming as ghostwriters. Some of these numbers that I'm seeing in here, you know, I don't know whether that's good or bad for what it costs to get something ghostwritten, but I know that if I paid $4,000, $5,000 in it, and I got scammed, I'd be pretty salty, so... What can you tell us about this? And what are your ways to ensure that if you are looking for talent to ghostwrite for you, that you don't get scammed? Well, first of all, I would really appreciate it if everyone would stop giving up all of my secrets on their blog posts mm -hmm. about how I don't scam. Yes, yes. It's <laughs> getting hard out here for a pep. It's like I worked really hard to set up all these grifts, and it was very difficult. So, with ghostwriters, it's pretty much the same as anything else. There's a little bit of going off of vibes, but there is the the issue that, of course, they can't always back up what they're saying because there are NDAs in place. So most ghostwriters I know are quite willing to say, you know, if you're saying, I'm really not sure about this, can you provide assurance of what you've written? Usually they'll be able to give you some of their own writing as like, here's an example of what I do. If they're giving you names of their clients and these are books they're not credited on, uh, absolutely take that as a red flag. Like if you go to a ghostwriter site and they've got a whole bunch of books where they're like, this is what I worked on and those books do not have their name on the cover, definitely side-eye that because either they're in violation of an NDA, right? Mm -hmm. Or there's... I mean, at least look into it, make sure that there's not something from that other author's website that's like, I hired this person and blah, blah, blah. Just try to make sure that they're backing up what they're saying and that you're not getting smooth talked. These are really low prices for a manuscript. Um, unfortunately, people do get hired for this. But yeah, if you're looking at around one to two cents per word, you're probably mm. not getting very good quality anyway. So. Mm. I'm going to have to change my Fiverr article now. I got to up my prices. I don't want people <laughs> to know I'm bad at this. <laughs> Jim, I don't know mm -hmm. if you do much ghostwriting or if you've ever solicited one, but if you were interested in the market, how would you try to keep your nose clean in this situation? 
Well, I was just reading this article and thinking, and it's just amazing now that we live in this time where there's more information freely available to everyone. And there's the most amount of misinformation there's ever been in the entire world. And it makes me very sad that the smart scammers know that what you do is you find the most desperate population. And that's the one that's ripe for picking or, you know, you want to find a population of people who are online a lot and are very low technically savvy with um, being online. You know, like uh, senior citizens are always a target of scammers because they're online. They're like, hey, we're here on the Internet. What do we do? I've got my credit card. Yeah. <laughs> and apparently writers fit in this population very well because there are lots and lots of scams. It's just crazy that we live in a time, you know, where you give me the name of a company and within 60 seconds, I can do enough research to tell you whether that's a legit company or not. You know, just and by, yet they still make so much money. And yet they still make so much money because yeah. a lot of people don't know to do that. They don't know that you can Google companies. And if you Google a company and find out that it was started yesterday, that's a pretty big red flag. Mm. You know, you want a trail, you want a trail on the internet to show transactions and history and that kind of stuff. And that if you're ever solicited to do anything regarding your writer career, you know, if you don't do your due diligence, you kind of get what you get. Mm. Well, and that's, that is kind of something that I want to bring up, which is that, I mean, if you're spending thousands of dollars, always be doing your due diligence. Hmm. I mean, if you spend $10 on an email subscription and it turns out that wasn't the best one in the market, cool, fine. But if you're signing a contract with someone to be doing this and you're sending that much money, hmm. take time, Google reviews, look around on author message boards. I mean, it's unlikely that you would just call a contractor out of nowhere, have them give you one quote, and then bring them into your house without verifying that they're a real person. Right. Do the same with your author stuff. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. Nick, what do you think about this, man? Uh, I see what Jim says. I mean, it's kind of a buyer beware. You know, this is somewhat related to talking about something like self-publishing school, where I almost feel like that's worse than this. Because if you fall for a ghostwriting scam where the website is horrendous English and you can sort of tell that it's this overseas shop that's kind of fly by night, it's a shame on you, you know? But self-publishing school is a good-looking website with a purportedly legitimate business model that is supposed to help authors and it's easier. So it's, it's easier for the world to be pulled over your eyes in that way, right? So yeah, I just think, you know, do your due diligence and everything and it, if you're listening to this and you're like, well, I just, I can't tell. I don't know the difference. Okay, go ask somebody. The indie author community is pretty tight knit, but we're also pretty open about, you know, at least privately telling you, hey, this is a scam or, you know, I, I don't think you should go here. People, if you're just doing this alone, go find friends, go find people in the community who are doing it or ask us, send us an email and be like, hey, is this website legit? We'll be able to tell like within 15 seconds, whether or not this is some scammy ghostwriting shop in the Philippines, I think is what this article said. So yeah, I mean, buyer beware. And we'll teach you how to do it yourself so you can do it yourself the next time. Yep. There you go. There you go. And if you pay Pippa the right amount of money, she'll teach you how to set up the scam shop too. You know, the one that she's got working in the back. Hey, you got to have multiple avenues of- You got to pay me income. a lot to uh, help my own competition, but you know. I'll, I'll... Everybody's got a price. <laughs> I've also got a bridge that's <laughs> buy one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I think potentially the biggest thing that you can say is kind of their top thing, solicitation, right? The number one sign of a writing scam is solicitation, right? It's like they say, you know, reputable literary agents and publishers very rarely reach out. 
you know, all these people, like I always get these emails from people that are like, can we promote your book? We'll put it on Twitter where it'll be shown 14 times a day or whatever. And it's like delete, you know what I mean? Cause you guys are not the promo companies for me. If you're, it's like, who said it WC fields. Like, I don't want to be part of any club that would have me as a member. Like <laughs> if you want to promote me, then I don't want any part of you. So unless you're book bub. So, all right. Very good. <laughs> Let's move on from that. Let's talk about some fun stuff, how to make some extra money, right? Coming to us from David Gogren, who for all intents and purposes is the man. We've got 15 rules for advertising books. He has 15 rules for advertising books. Some are good. Some are not. You know, number one is don't spend what you can't afford, right? I think everyone would probably agree with that is, you know, you need to eat and stuff like that. Do you guys get a chance to run through this list? What strikes you is really good and what strikes you is maybe not so good? Nick, what about you, man? Yeah, I love, I mean, rule number one right away is pretty much advertising 101. Don't spend what you can't afford. This is important for obvious reasons. You know, if you're going to try to float this on a credit card or something, it's just a bad idea. But there's this kind of unintuitive truth about advertising in that the joke is we know that half of advertising works. We just don't know which half. But it seems to be the case. I mean, even I am a what I would call an expert in some ad platforms like Amazon ads and Facebook ads, meaning I've done them for years. I've spent hundreds of thousands of dollars between the two. I've gotten some to work and, and very well, and I've gotten others to not work very well. So I know my way in and out. And even now, when I set up an ad from day one, I expect I'm going to have to go tweak that ad or at least track it because it's not going to work. It's not going to be fine-tuned right out the gate. There's going to be money that I've lost. So I think the mindset is not just, you know, I have $5, so I'm going to put $5 on this ad and all $5 are going to work to generate an income. It's more like, well, maybe $2 of that will work. And then the rest of that $3 is going to be quote unquote lost. But I just call that testing. I just call that experimentation, right? So I really like rule number one a lot. And I just think, you know, that's the one I would double down on the most. Okay. Mr. Heskett, what are you thinking, man? I really like, I mean, these are all, like Nick said, these are all great rules. I love David Gogren. I love the way he explains stuff. I love reading his articles because I read his words in his, I hear his accent in my head when I read his words. Mm. I like, you know, spend a lot of time on your landing page. I think that's smart. Not just your Amazon landing page, but you know, you want your website to be clean. You want your Facebook page to be clean. Anywhere you are, you want things to be clean and easy and directing people quickly and efficiently to the right thing you want to get them to. Um, then rule number 13, don't forget about genre variances. I think that because for so many years, authors have been, you know, blindly wandering for 40 days in the desert. Anytime someone has success, we all want to do that thing, you know, cause like mm -hmm. nobody knows what works that thing worked. Let's all do that. But <laughs> there are different things that work in marketing and social media and other uh, facets are different across genres. You know, if I'm selling, if I'm making images to sell a romance book, I'm going to create certain color patterns, certain types of people on the cover on one of the marketing. It's going to be very different than if I'm creating images for a thriller, you know, and, and that's not just ad copy and images. We're talking about the whole website. And I think that it's we as authors, because we're wandering so blindly, it's just really easy for us to latch on to something that worked for someone to try to make it work for us when and often doesn't indeed ms werner what you got i don't think i have anything to add to what they've said except i would recommend that when you first start doing advertising set up end dates for about a week out or two weeks out so that if 
something comes up, because if you're a writer, something will almost always come up. You'll have 8 million other things going on for your personal life. It will not just keep billing in the background if you forgot to go back in and tweak it. Mm. So, mm. Yeah, that billing will get you sometimes. Sometimes I get these invoices and I'm like, good Lord, what are you guys doing for that money? If I had to uh, throw in anything, I really like number 11, which is don't rush. You know, I think that that's probably pretty good thing to consider with your writing and your advertising. You know, it's not all going to happen at once. It's not going to turn on like a faucet, you know, try things like Nick said, tweak things, you know, and just know that you have to play the long game and learn how to do it before you're really going to see a lot of payback from it usually, or you could strike gold, but you know, whatever. So don't rush. All right. The last thing we have here. And this is from K.M. Wyland. You know, I don't know if we've talked about one of her stories on the show yet, but I like her. Her blog is pretty cool. She had a lot of articles I read back in the day that I really enjoyed. It's called The Writer's Inner Critic, and it's 11 ways to tell if yours is healthy. And, you know, she's talking about, you know, your inner critic and, you know, she's got some six signs of the unhealthy inner critic. You know, you project your inner critic outside of yourself. You focus on the binary ideas of success versus failure. You know, you criticize without true construction, you know, shames and guilt trips, things like that. So I guess I want to go around to you guys and ask, you can touch on the article if it makes sense for what you want to say, but what do you do to keep your inner critic in check? Because I don't know about you guys, but mine can be a savage sometimes, and he's really hard to kind of keep at bay. And I'm not sure that anyone's ever written me as bad of a review as I write for myself on a, a pretty serious basis. So let's start with you, Jim. What do you do about your inner critic, man? Turn the volume down. Um, <laughs> I've never been able to get rid of my inner critic, but I have done this writing thing enough now that I know myself pretty well, that I kind of know the peaks and valleys I'm going to get into during the writing process. You know, I'm pretty much guaranteed that when I'm writing my first draft of whatever it is, there will be at least two or three times that I stop during that first draft and go, I should just abandon this. This is pure crap. doesn't make any sense. None of the plot points connect together. None of the characters are consistent. It's absolute crap. Yeah, I just know that's going to happen at some point. And then I'll finish that and then go back and read over and go, wow, this is actually really good. What was I thinking? And then I'll start in that second draft to go, it doesn't make sense. <laughs> yeah. Characters aren't consistent. You know, I just know that that's just what my brain's going to do. And so for the most part, I just kind of try to ignore it and push on. You mean after selling as many books as you've sold and had the bestseller tags as many times as you have, it doesn't just go away? Is this what you're telling me, Jim? No, I really like Bill Hader. The comedian Bill Hader was talking about anxiety and he talked about how he learned to deal with anxiety. And he said, you know, it never went away. He never like killed his anxiety, but he learned how to treat his anxiety like a little devil on his shoulder and that the devil's still there. He just doesn't listen as much. You know, it's like, hey, anxiety, I see you there. I've got to go to work now. So I'm going to ignore you for a little bit. Mm. And that made a lot of sense to me. Yeah. I think the real key word you use there is ignore, right? Because that's, what works for me is literally just not listening to myself railing in the background about how awful it is. You know, I'm just like, I'm just yeah. not going to listen. Is it bad? Maybe it's bad. I'm just going to finish it and we'll see how it goes. You know, just ignoring that guy. But, uh, that's good stuff. That's good stuff. How about you, Nicholas? 
I hope you don't mind if I call you Nicholas. I feel like Nick is a little not formal enough for the show. I want to bring well, this up a little. Call you. I don't know if we're on those kind of. <laughs> I want to bring this up. We got to wear ties. Yeah, Jim stole my anxiety thing, but that's how the inner critic manifests itself in me is anxiety. You know, I don't even realize that what's happening, but I'm like reading something that I've written and I'm like, yeah, it's great. And then all of a sudden I get really anxious. <laughs> and so I, then I realize, oh, okay, wait, I don't believe myself. You know, I like kind of feel like I'm lying to myself, but same thing happens to me, man. Every single book I've published, I remember writing usually in the middle somewhere, 30 to 70% and thinking this is, it just doesn't make any sense. This is crap. And then I go back over it and I'm like, Okay, it's actually pretty good. This is good. And so I've learned to ignore that a little bit, that voice, the first voice, not the second voice. I listen to the second voice, the one that tells me it's good. But I've had to train myself to listen to that one. You know, What I'm noticing lately, more recently, is when people I know send me a picture of themselves, like reading my book or something like, you know, I've been writing for 10 years. And this is now the, I think the very first time my mom is reading one of my books. She's like, I guess he's going to stick with this writing thing, you know? <laughs> um, so she finally picked up the Enigma strain and, and my aunt sent a picture of her reading it. And I immediately kind of felt like, oh, I got to like explain myself. I got to like excuse it. Like, oh, well, you know, I'm better now. That was a long time ago. I wrote that. Mm. So you just don't worry about it. I do that all the time. Mm. And I've had friends tell me, oh, I'm about to read your book. And I'm like, ooh, which one? Okay, well, that, mm. here's the deal. I wrote that one. I was really stressed. And, mm. and I'm like, I got to shut up. I got to not do that. But that's mm-hmm. what I'm realizing now. And maybe it's just because no one that I've known has ever really read my books. But, you know, that bothers me. And it needs to not bother me. Yeah. It was good enough for me to publish it in the first place. Yeah, I wanted people to read it. Now they are. Yeah, I completely sympathize. I'm talking with someone about co-writing something in one of my series, and they asked me, okay, which book does this character come from? I'll read it, and I can kind of get a vibe for this character. And I immediately was like, maybe don't read it, you know? Because then, like, you'll look behind the curtain, and you'll be like, yeah, we're definitely not working together. <laughs> this guy's awful. <laughs> this guy's awful. Uh, I got, It was like a gut punch, and I was finally like, okay, you can read it. Meanwhile, like whatever thousands of people have read it, you know, and I don't care about them, but it's when someone, you know, it hurts, man. It really hurts. I'm tearing up thinking about it. Uh, (laughs) Let's see. So you were Mr. Heskett. You were Nicholas. I guess I got to call you Philippa since we're highbrow today. Philippa, what do you got? I'm not very good at keeping my inner critic healthy. But the one thing I have noticed is that every once in a while, I'll go through these cycles where every single thing I write, I just like the words come out of my fingertips and I stare at them. And there's this vast gulf between what they should be and what they are. Like nothing is good. Usually that means I've sort of leveled up in my writing. I now know. Mm -hmm. And so like I've developed the capability to sort of see beyond where my writing was and go onwards. So if everything seems like crap, that may actually be what's going on. Just my little mm. bit of hopeful. Because mm. you're saying you're better now, and so your writing isn't on par with what you expect you from know yourself. You do. Yeah. Okay. okay. All right. Well, hey, that makes sense to me, guys. We probably shouldn't talk about this critic thing anymore because I'm feeling <laughs> a little beat up about it right now. So I'm just cringing thinking about them reading this book. I'm very sad. All right, guys. You got anything you want to add? Any alibis or mulligans for the day? No? Okay. All right. So for all of us at Author News Weekly, I'm Ari McGee saying this meeting is over. Goodbye, everybody.